0: So I say this every night before I play, right? I feel happy and euphoric with joy to be playing music. My skills are practiced and on point. I feel seasoned and confident from years on stage. I engage the crowd and connect with them all. Tonight, I play my greatest show ever. I let tonight be its own night, inspired in its own way.
1: The Progressive Project.
2: What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson. Today's guest is one of my all-time favorite musicians, Garrett Dutton, who you probably know as G-Love. If you're new to the Progression Project Podcast, my objective is to explore the learning process and what it takes to become truly great at something. From that initial spark of passion to insurmountable dreams becoming reality, we celebrate the journey, the role of practice and dedication, and those who guide us. I use these conversations as fuel, and I hope they do the same for you. If you didn't listen to episode one with Josh Waitskin, I highly recommend it. I give a bit of background on who I am and where the show is headed. And Josh is absolutely amazing to learn from. He's the author of The Art of Learning and has himself become a master at chess, Tai Chi push hands and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Coming up on the show, we have Anders Ericsson, the author of Peak, a book about deliberate practice, the best book about deliberate practice, and Aaron Pearsall, Olympic gold medal winner in Backstroke. His records have yet to be broken, and he was just inducted into the Swimming Hall of Fame. Okay, Garrett Dutton is best known as G-Love from G-Love and the Special Sauce. He's navigated a 25-year career in the music industry and created his own genre of music, mixing blues and hip-hop. I've gotten to know G through the years surfing, and a conversation while driving to surf with him about five years ago was my first inspiration to start this show. And that's why I wanted to record with Garrett first. He was the first episode um, recorded for the Progression Project podcast. And I know you will enjoy it. And before we get started, if you like the intro music to the show, that is the things I used to do off of G-Love's G-Love and the Special Sauce album. Uh, and is one of my favorite songs out there. So Garrett, thanks a ton for letting me use the music. And if you guys like it, go wherever you buy music and buy it, support Garrett. You can't support a better dude. So, all right, with that, let's dive in deep with Garrett Dutton. All right, Garrett Dutton, thank you
0: very much for being first guest on the progression project podcast. Thanks for having me, Eric. Yeah, man. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. I uh, just got out of the water surfing down here in Playa Guiones, and, uh, We have a show tonight, so um, just having a relaxing last day of family vacation and getting ready to do a little benefit show tonight um, down here in Costa Rica. Nice. All
2: right, so this show, and we know
0: each other, so I I know some of your story, but we've never really
2: gone back to the beginning. Our show is about progression here, um, and you are a world-class musician when did you first find the love of music when did that happen
0: uh i think um you know my my mother kind of started me um just in a motherly way um it was just we were i was probably eight years old and in the back of the station wagon in philadelphia and i was drumming you know to the, on the car seat along with the radio and she said oh wow you really got the beat she said which which, do you want to take an instrument do you want to play a musical instrument i said oh yeah well what do you want to play i want to play guitar that's i don't know why that's i just came up with of course like every kid wants to play guitar right so uh she put me into uh folk guitar lessons in philadelphia there's a school called settlement music school and um you know i started learning folk songs and on a little nylon string guitar and um basically started that was the beginning of the journey and from eight to around 13 i took guitar lessons you know once a week during the school year it's kind of an after school activity and i was terrible and had no natural talent and I didn't even really like it that much, but I don't know why, but I kept doing it. And then uh, when I was about 13, it finally started sounding pretty good, and I could tune it. So um, that's when things started to happen, you know. And you were an athlete, too. Uh, I know that you were
2: big into basketball. 13's, what, the 8th, ninth grade right there? Yeah. Through high school, did you continue music? You played basketball. What were you into in high school?
0: Yeah, uh, I was... I was actually always into basketball and music and surfing as well. Um, actually I found when I was eight years old, I started the three things that are kind of the passions in my life, you know, which, which are those basketball, surfing and music. And, uh, you know, surfing's always just been a fun hobby. Um, basketball, I was pretty serious about growing up and, um, And music, I became serious about growing up. And actually, there was a point, and it was a very clear-cut point where, um, you know, I was, like, uh, really very much focused on basketball. And I was, you know, like, whatever, not to toot my own horn, but I was, like, the star of the team. And And you're a tall guy. You're, what, 6'3"? 6'4". 6'4". So, we we had, uh, I was on JV... Anyway, I was on the ninth grade team. And yeah, I was on a ninth grade team and coach called Practices Over Christmas Holiday. Now, here was the thing was that um I had been writing songs. So they they said um there was a a demo derby in the local newspaper, send your demos in, right? So, I decided that I was not going to go to practice, and I was going to make these demos and focus on that on my winter break. So I did, and I made my demo and sent it to the city paper. Not, nothing ever happened with it, but I, you know, I completed a demo, and I didn't go to basketball practice. So I came back after the break, and you know, like like I said, I was a star, star, star of the starting five, and a coach pretty much benched me for the rest of the season he didn't like he didn't start me after that and i was just like you know what fuck this man uh and then the next year actually that was jv and and then yeah so the next year was 11th grade junior year and and i um i didn't play basketball that's when i decided like i'm gonna focus on music and that's what i did
2: that's interesting so it was my 10th to 11th grade year i grew up playing baseball Uh and i found surfing and skateboarding which i fell in love with right away uh, and that was 9th and 10th grade and then 11th grade i opted to swim instead of play baseball because it was better training for surfing
0: ah far out yeah Uh.
2: so that's it that happened at that same time Uh. when did you see music as your path when did you when did you commit yourself to being like you know what I mean, what's your background? What do, you, what do your parents do? Were they supportive of music? And then was there any resistance when you dis- you made that decision?
0: Well, I mean, um, okay, my parents, um, my father was uh, a lawyer and my mother was a housewife, except although she also taught cooking school for kids in our house as like an after school program. And she was a she- like a sh- not full on professional chef, but. She did have different cooking, um, businesses that she run out of the house. Like she had a tart making business and then the, the cook, the cooking school is called quiz kids, like C U I S. And it actually ran for like 15 years. So that was pretty successful for her. But, um, yeah, no, they were always very loving and supportive family and we have a tight family. We still, still do have a tight family and, um, they were always very supportive. Like I said, you know, my my mother, um, she put me in the lessons, and they encourage and she encouraged me when I was probably ten or eleven, and being like, you know, not into it, to stay on the practice, and you know, because you, you when you're a little kid, you, there's what do you want to play? Guitar for it hurts your fingers, right? It sounds terrible, and it's hard to do. So you know, it's like. But I don't even know why, like, I kept with it, but, you know, and she would make me practice for, like, you know, just practice five minutes, five minutes a day, you know? And um, anyways, um, you know, so so they were very supportive. Um, When did you see music as your path? Yeah, like, for me, um, you know, I I think, you know, like I said, I started when I was eight, when I was 13... So it took five years for it to sound good, I thought, right? And for me to be comfortable playing and to, to actually have an ear to be able to tune the guitar,
2: But right? from 8 to 13, you knew it didn't sound right. You had enough of an ear to realize that.
0: I, I just I don't know whether it sounded right or not. I just knew that I did it. It was just one of the things that I did, like I did my homework. Uh-huh. But there was no passion, really. and And then there wasn't a passion until I was... 13 and i got a steel string guitar and that started sounding good and then when i was 15 for some reason i don't know why but i wrote a song and that was kind of uh the first epiphany and and it was interesting because i i wrote a tune um and that first tune kind of encompasses a lot of it's a great tune i still play it you know like uh it's it's a tune that encompasses a lot of the way I still write. It, it It's a song that on the outside seems like a love affair or a song that I'm writing for my girlfriend. Um, but I, in fact, wrote it about two people. I wrote it about this girl that I was in love with in 8th or ninth grade. And I wrote it also about my best friend, who's now my manager, who was leaving um, school to go to boarding school. So I was you know as my best friend growing up i was bummed he was going to vermont to boarding school so that made me really sad and i don't know why i wrote a song but i i had chords i could play them and i did it and and that was kind of that was the stepping stone to to later making that choice did writing a song
2: and having that that creative process be completed there by not just playing but then creating and then being able to play your creation did that change your relationship
0: to the guitar to music yeah absolutely um once i found that kind of inner voice that changed my whole life because um especially at that age in particular like when you're 15 i find that um you know when you're 15 and i'm sure uh, i think many people would would agree it's like that's when you first kind of come into yourself you know you you know you not only you're raging hormonally right but but your mind's expanding your thoughts you're you're starting to develop who you into the person that you're going to be um and and have profound thoughts and have dreams and have visions and have you know strong ideas about what who you are what you want to be in life and where your life is heading and what kind of person you are right and uh so writing that song when i was 15 immediately gave me like an expression and an identity and a purpose and oh my god like yeah this is who i am and this kind of defines me and this is the best part of me so this music thing all of a sudden it was like really powerful uh, uh, to find that passion and 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 that um path at that age and then you know at that age you also have uh boundless energy right and like and so i had something to put it into and i did and 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 um you know, then it became a thing like before your parents would, like, yo, practice your guitar. And then it was like, yo, stop practicing your guitar, you know, stop stomping your foot. And your dad's trying to work and you need to do your homework. All right. So, you know, I, I really, it became a thing now. I went from practicing, you know, five minutes a day to practicing for hours and hours and hours. And it was fun. It was fun.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm about to interview Anders Ericsson and one of the points that uh, I, I, uh, that I was a friend of mine uh, thought I should bring up was the fact that Anders Ericsson wrote the book Peak," which I love and I model a lot of what I do on. but he says that deliberate practice isn't necessarily fun, but I think that it's absolutely fun. I think that once you find the passion and that spark hits you there's nothing more fun than drilling on the nuance of what you're doing. Right, right. And it sounds like you found that, like, right there, right away, right?
0: I think so. I mean, um, you know, it was, it's kind of interesting, too, because the practice kind of went from being practice to being creation. You know what I mean? And, and that's partly why I'm not the best guitar player in the world. But um, I guess you could say that the time... That was spent with the instrument became time that was spent on writing songs so i had a pretty good repertoire of chords and i've you know continued to try to develop that over the years in different ways but um actually just to you you recommended that book peak to me and i actually i downloaded it already and i did (laughs) read the synopsis because they were saying how like what was the type of practice it was deliberate deliberate practice and i was like oh wow yeah you know like um deliberate practice that's something i i honestly i I have struggled with that because, like I said, if I did that's when you see these guitar players that are just all up and down the neck and and have a lot of technique and everything, and my thing was always like just the guitar is an extension of me and it's a tool to get my words and my message across and my vibe across right and so the style of music so i sometimes regret not doing more deliberate practice but um certainly you know it takes time to write songs and it takes time to practice the songs that you've written to get them up to performance level and that's kind of what i spend my time doing so my time writing And then I have to play the song tens and twenties and fifties and hundreds of times so that I know the song, it's part of me and it's, I don't forget the lyrics, you know, and I'm ready to record it or perform it.
2: Let's talk about your creative process for a little bit. When you write, is it a conscious effort to sit down? I'm going to write a song today. Let me sit down and let me write a song or are you just walking around and a song hits you and it just comes from somewhere deep inside from some unconscious part that's always working?
0: Yeah, I think the latter is the way the best songs are written. However, um, there are days where I say, I want to write a song today or I actually have a writing session with another writer and we're going to go in and write a song. Um Those are two totally different experiences because, um, well, uh, actually, let me just rewind. So, basically, the first part was that, yes, mostly I try to write, especially now, and all of my greatest songs that I've ever written, if they're great, any part of them, is they've just come naturally, and they've come um, kind of in weird places at weird times, and they're inspired, and they were easy to write, and... It's like Keith Richards said, you're kind of just a conduit, and you know you just kind of maintain an open mind and a heart, and let these songs flow through you. And that's kind of what, what I do. Do you have a particular mm-hmm. story about a song
2: when that moment hit you and how it felt or sounded or like bring us kind of deeper inside? Like how okay. how does that feel when that song hits you?
0: Well, I guess um, I guess. Uh, you know, one thing was, um, well, I honestly, yesterday I I had, who knows whether the song will ever be recorded or performed, but I did have a moment yesterday where I was actually out surfing here in Costa Rica. And, uh, you know, and then these lyrics started popping in my head and, you know, I'm kind of like a reaction, a react, reactive person. Right. So, um, obviously like with the, are the u.s election this past month that's been like heavy on my mind and um anyways i don't know i just started riffing lyrics and then i and then i was surfing and i kept building the, the first verse so then i had to get out of the water because by then i had like a first verse and i kept seeing it over and over in my head so i didn't re- forget the lyrics till i got you know the mile the half <laughs> mile back to the house and i could and i then i sat down and i wrote two verses and then i had to go but um yeah like that um <clears throat> so yeah things happen generally when you're f- in a place where you're feeling open and you're I'm just like being out in the water without a guitar is sometimes a great place to come up with lyrics cause you know you sing home to yourself or you have a lyrical thought that comes to your mind and you're feeling loose and it comes out um but like I have another I guess um i guess like i'm trying to think about like some of my better well-known tunes and um there's one of them called cold beverage off my first record which yeah. is which is you know a, a lot of people think oh you know that's just like just a funny song or whatever but i mean if you really look at the lyrics of that songs it's it's really quite a like i think an outstanding piece of poetry like i mean if you just read the lyrics it's like yo uh it's pretty cool, and it all was based around I was sitting in the this gas station waiting for the brakes to get fixed of my 1963 Chevy, and um, here comes, uh, I'm reading this rag, like this old, it wasn't even a, it was a magazine, but it was like a homemade magazine. It was like Xerox, and it was a, for musicians and boobies so it was like this (laughs) this funky little you know where you say there's a vintage guitar and here's some boobies next to it you know it's just like a quirky little weird thing and i saw the word cold beverage and then it was it just hit me like cold beverage that's a funny word I, i like cold beverage and then i that was it then i just started writing the lyrics and the outside of the you know the margin of these this thing and then i ran home and i made this quirky little guitar lick which is quirky but that guitar lick represents you know all of the countless hours i spent learning and making chords to figure out what robert johnson and john hammond and muddy waters were playing on their guitar it encompasses and and then the the lyrics encompass even again even though it's just a song about drinks right but it it, the lyrics encompass all of the um growing up in philadelphia and the influence of hip-hop and the influence of blues and it's a perfectly orchestrated song the way this simple totally original quirky riff bounces back and forth and then goes into the chorus which is utterly simple but truly profound so like these these are things that it's such a simple thing and it was such a simple moment where it came but that was all of those hours and time and time and time and practice and practice leading up to that point to be able to have that thing come out of me so easy and that's the whole point of becoming a great songwriter is that you have to write hundreds of songs to get those ones, and every, and then, and that's what everyone's chasing for—like a song that's going to click, and connect, and hit, and have something special and be sticky. And they just, and that's what everyone's trying to do every day. They don't come every day. You'd be lucky if you get one. Is there a process that you use to put yourself
2: in a state uh, to be better at writing? To write open, you said. Um, is there a process that you use to get yourself there?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think. For one thing, you can never listen to enough great music. Um, certainly the more music you listen to, the more records you digest and especially if you're selective in for whatever style you're trying to achieve if you're selective in listening to stuff that can that greatly you know because whatever you put into yourself, whether it's food or music or you know anything that you're absorbing spiritually, mentally, physically, um that's going to come out of you in whatever it is that you put out there right um but um you know preparing to write songs um you know you 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 have to you have to continuously write and then you I'm, i'm losing my train of thought here wait what was the pinpoint question
2: yeah is there a process that you use on a day that you're gonna i, I would like to write a song oh, today. Right. is there a process that you use to get yourself in a mental state oh, right. to have a higher likelihood of okay. writing a, a good song you know
0: well quiet being in a quiet place being in a focused environment right. where i can but also being in an enjoyable place like for me like eric and i are sitting out on the you know we're looking out into the Costa Rican jungle. I can hear the waves. There's a table out there with a chair. If no one's hanging out, this is a perfect place to write because I like to be outside when I yeah. write. The fresh air. Um, we
2: a couple years ago when we were hanging out in a setting very similar to this, the song Coconut Water was born. Oh right, right.
0: <laughs> but that was that was um that was that was my buddy yeah um, Brendan right Brendan yeah <laughs> that was cool that's a great one. But um, yeah, like, you know, um, but yeah, being in, an, an, in a nice environment and then, but honestly, more important than that is that right now, like, um, because I've written so many tunes over the years and I really try to write naturally, which means that I don't want any part of any song to be forced, especially the initial part of it. So I don't. Honestly, I don't really like. Let's say I have a writing session now. I don't put pressure on myself to write songs these days. Like, um, I, you know, I, I. To me, it's like it's got to happen naturally. So it's, and and it generally will. Like if I have an afternoon where I have a couple hours that I put aside, because I do. I I put. And, and, and you know you have kids and traveling and everything in practice time is harder and harder to come by because touring's not practice interviews no, is not are not practice you know keeping your body in shape that takes away from your practice but this is part of life right so i have to carve out days where i'm like i'm gonna take this is my music day so nobody fuck with me no i'm not doing that no i'm not doing that no i'm not helping with this no i'm not helping with that i'm sitting on the porch all day and i'm gonna be out there playing music and i'm gonna practice old tunes i might learn a cover song and then see what happens and usually what happens is i'll stumble upon a riff and then that will lead to me to start singing some words and then if it's something worth saying then it comes out easily and i got something and if it's something it doesn't need to get hurt ever just kind of maybe you get a spark and then it goes away or you feel like you have you start to force it and then you just say no i'm not doing it has your creative process changed with age yeah i think now i'm um, um like i used to kind of bang my head against the wall more like i would sit down and really got to write a song today and just you know start doing it and you know just coming up against the wall and just knowing that it's not Something so great, but oh, I gotta complete this. And and now, like I said, I, I'm more apt to like scrap it, like walk away from it because <clears throat> ultimately, music is meant to inspire you and to make you feel good, right? So when you write it, it should feel good, and and sure, like the initial thing should be easy and it should be inspired, and then later you can go in and hone it down and edit edit it yourself and. Really hone in on making choice words and figure out what exactly it is is the heart of this song that you're trying to say, um, and I think over the years that's something I've I've learned a lot as well. Like nothing's sacred, and I think there's a good saying like don't be sacred with your art, meaning that you know it's it should always be pliable and, and moldable. That you should be able to tweak it and keep pushing it. Right, and not just let it sit where it is. Because I think a lot of tunes benefit from time, right? If you make a tune and you don't rush to record it, you, you perform it for a year or two years or 10 years. And then you see, wow, this section that I really felt strongly about the first week I wrote it is totally unnecessary and really messes up the whole song. You know what I mean? So I think over the years, you get better at being more objective and say this is no good or this part of it's great but this part of it doesn't need to be there and you know time is the thing that makes the cream rise to the top for sure all right let's step into oh,
2: oh i play a little bit of music but you love surfing i love surfing let's talk about surfing in your life what is surfing to you
0: ah uh, surfing's like uh you know like i guess a lot of people choose golf (laughs) you know it's like the sport and i say i'm not a golfer but i I think surfing and golf have a similarity probably because they're sports where it's like you against yourself right like it's it's a so it's a solitary sport so even though you might surf with your friends or your enemies (laughs) you know like you um you're out there ultimately by yourself. It's your board, it's the ocean, and it's you. And you, you and there's certainly... Uh, like, it can... Depending on where you're surfing and how big the waves get, you can certainly put yourself into plenty of life-threatening situations and push yourself way outside of your comfort zone. And, um, you know, really... So I think surfing for me is like... It's a wonderful thing because... I like to have those moments where I'm alone and it's a peaceful place. Um, it's a good, great exercise. It does have an element of life and death anytime you're out floating in the ocean. You know, you could get eaten by a shark. You could get stung by some jellyfish. You, anything could happen. You could hit your head on the board and you could drown. It could be a small day and it could happen. You know, like anything could happen. So, there's an element of risk to it which i find and i think a lot of people find you know a rush and uh and then you know it's cool and you get to travel places and there you can't play your music you can't play guitar out in the water so it makes you step away from from that and it's a lifestyle i think as well so yeah, it's so all these things. Right? Do you
2: find that there's any sort of similarities between surfing and music in the creative space, or is there any commonality between the two for you?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's that. There is that element of like you can push yourself as hard as hard as as hard as you can. You wish to push yourself, and also there's also that element of like you know you against yourself. Like if I'm going to go do my show tonight. The crowd, especially now 25 years into my career, most of the crowd's going to be out there, like, just trying to have a good time. Who knows? There could be, like, a couple haters in the audience every show that are there to say, Oh, is this kid, is this guy any good? Or I've heard a lot about him and I want to see if he sucks. Or, like, you know, they have in their mind that he sucks. And so there's you know but mostly I have a great crowd anybody that's paying money to come to show is there to have a great time and be inspired by the music and it's my job to make people happy but the only thing that could get away in the way of that is myself right if I get too nervous or I get up in my head or I start getting self-conscious or I start worrying about a mistake I make or what song am I gonna play next or any of the myriad of things that can take you out of your flow so i think that's an element and then there's those elements where surfing and music are comparable because if you're in the zone so hard you're being creative on the spot right you're um, flowing with a natural force whether it's the energy of the wave or the sound of the music and you can get very euphoric if you you know with the o- the motion of the ocean and also the motion of the music so there there are a lot of similar similarities like that as well yeah i, mean, I played in a band for a few years way back uh
2: 96 to 2000 shout out to stinky kindard um wait but what are they called stinky kindard was our <laughs> you can still find some of our tracks online <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> we used to play with like uh, a bunch of the gainesville bands uh-huh. you know like less than jake and stuff oh, like cool, that cool. it was fun great music scene in gainesville yeah, yeah and we used to be able to like sell out this one crap uh, like a little spot there called the covered dish i uh-huh. mean we had a good local following and right that feeling of playing in front of that crowd when the crowd was going off right um it's unparalleled yeah like it's it's an amazing feel i remember the first time like i can remember it like adamantly yeah i'm standing there playing a track and i look in the back and we was like probably our second year playing and there are people i've never seen in my life singing our songs wow i couldn't believe like how do you know we wrote this and you're you're it was just this incredible feeling um like very addictive i would
0: i would suspect right like Uh, i think so
2: yeah do you still get that feeling now
0: oh yeah i was thinking about it just before you got here because i was thinking about you know, these days I've really try to I do uh actually have like a whole kind of uh, self affirm self affirmation, you know, piece of you know, it's like a par it's like a self affirming uh self affirmations that I you know, it takes about five minutes to read the whole thing and I always keep adding to it. I read it before every show. These days um because yeah like that's what i'm trying to get every night right i want to get to that euphoric moment and yeah the only thing that can really get in between that happening is when i get into my head and get into a negative headspace or or a you know nervous uncomfortably nervous headspace that i can't break out of which happens you know like actually my my last show i just played in austin i i had a house concert and i and i did like i you know i'm a weird guy like i I don't like to ever listen to anybody that's going on before us um i don't ever want to hear someone open up for me because not because i'm not interested in what they're doing musically it's just because i can't afford to worry about what's going on before i hit the stage because i it's i get very weird like i'm i'm i was backstage listening to this guy uh charlie mars and he was having a great show and i was like you know love the music and everything and i'm hearing him tell these stories and everyone i can't really hear what he's saying but i can hear the crowd like exploding into laughter after the stories and I'm backstage like you know like perspiring and like going pale because i'm like well, I gotta go out there next and there's no story that I've that I can tell that's gonna get a laugh that loud. I don't know what I would say. I don't have pre planned stories. You know what I mean? Like so I by the time I got on the stage I was like, I don't know and wow, his show's going so well, like why am I even gonna go on after that? You know, and I got all up in my head and of course it's so stupid. Of course I came off after the show and a couple of people that I know are like Oh, that was such an amazing show. I was like, oh, I was, I feel so, I felt like I had cheated the whole audience that had paid all his money to see me. And I was super bummed out because that was just it. Like I got, I I, I went against myself that not everyone, I stoked myself out for the show. You know, that happens. And I don't, I don't want it to happen much these days anymore, but it does happen sometimes. That's amazing that,
2: I mean, you've been doing this for 25 years now, right? Yeah. And that you're still—I mean—that's beautiful—that you're still that um, engaged in, and and uh, you know in, in producing the best product for your fans and for your audience. Like and that you would still get stage fright. Like, I mean, how many thousands of shows have you played? I don't know. And that's thousands. incredible. And so the other day we were talking, and you mentioned that. And this because we were talking about practice a little bit and things that you're doing, and this is the Progression Project, still progressing. We're all works in progress, right? And what is your routine before a show that you were telling me
0: about? Right. So, um, yeah, this is something that I've really started to take a lot more serious and um, and kind of a methodic, methodical approach the last, well... Really since, well, I should say I've always taken a methodical approach to playing shows and I've always respected the stage and taken it very seriously because it's my, you know, it's my love and it's, that's what I do, you know, and I, and I've always put everything I got into it over the years. My pre-show routine have, have, have changed and varied, but I've always tried to take a nap. Before the show, to kind of reset from the day and then a fresh energy to go be the best part of me. To not carry in whatever happened
2: during that day into the show. You want to have a fresh start. Fresh energy. Yeah. Interesting. Okay.
0: It could be a five minute nap just to lie down, close my eyes, and try to, you know, let your. Body release part of the day to refresh a disco nap but like you generally try to take an hour nap um but over the years i've everything's varied from like doing a kung fu kata to yoga to um you know um listening to music to practicing um and a whole bunch of different stuff over the years now um my routine I feel is pretty dialed in, and I've been on this for a couple of years now. Um, I take a vocal lesson, so basically I take like an hour. I take like an hour nap, and um, so basically, generally on a regular show day, I have sound check um, with the band, get our sound together, maybe run a couple tunes, and then I will do like a VIP meet and greet this is on a regular tour and then i'll play a mini show for these people shake hands sign autographs take pictures blah 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 time for a quick bite and then you know jam into my bunk get an hour nap and wake up i do a, voc- a half hour vocal lesson which my vocal vocal coach on the telephone and then i um i do i make a set list i've i do like a your hand set list drawn. is like art yeah you should sell those things i, I don't do. know if you do you do. I do yeah um i make a hand-drawn set list which is usually not even anything we end up playing at night harley um and 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 then i um you know put on my stage clothes and i have gotten into meditating f- since um you know one of your buddies tim ferris i was listening to his podcast and one of the people that advertise on this podcast was this headspace meditation. So I got this app and did that this year. And that's been really great. So I do like a 10 minute meditation and then I have, um, and now this is all going up to like, you know, we're getting like all the while, like meanwhile, my road manager be like 20, yeah, 20 minutes. (laughs) And I'm like meditating still. And he's like, you almost ready. (laughs) And then I'm like, all right, oh, then I have a drink. Um, and then, you know, then we're like, everybody's dressed in their stage clothes and showtime, you know, have, we have a group hug, Jim, Jeff and I were a trio. We, we just take a quick minute every, before every show, L- literally not a minute, literally seconds and just bring it in. All right, boys, you're ready. Let's have a great show. Boom. And then you hit the stage. And, and, and actually the, the thing I forgot is I, I, the other thing is I read my affirmation you know, which starts out like I can say some of some of my memory It goes, I feel happy and euphoric with joy. To so I say this every night before I play. Right. I feel happy and euphoric with joy to be playing music. My skills are practiced and on point. I feel seasoned and confident from years on stage. I engage the crowd and connect with them all. Tonight I play my greatest show ever. I let tonight be its own night, inspired in its own way. I feel the crowd. I don't judge the crowd um my voice is strong and supported you know my guitar is singing and cutting the harmonica is blazing the rhythm is pulsing like a freight train i am a freight train you know it's beautiful dude it it goes (laughs) on and it it, it keeps going on and i add to it because you know sometimes like there's that line i feel the crowd i don't judge the crowd because i might go out there and say man why is that person looking at me like that or What what are these people here for? Or you
2: put yourself out there when you go play music for somebody, like on anything. And like, I haven't done anything like that in my life except for play music, where you go out there and people are judging you, right? And like looking at you, but then well, they're
0: really not. They're probably not judging. I mean, (laughs) I mean, there are some people that are judging you, but most people don't go out to the bar to watch a band to judge them. They go out to the band to party. Yeah, judging (laughs) might be a wrong
2: word, but they are. I, I have always felt, when playing music, that people are going to walk away with an impression of how I did.
0: Right. That's right. true. Yeah. Yeah. And they might not even know. Like that's And that's a super frustrating thing about being a musician. You could come off what you thought was a terrible performance and people kissing your ass. Oh, my God. You're so great. That was amazing. Are you fucking kidding me? That sucked. Yeah, but your definition of sucked is probably very
2: different. And you know when you've had a bad night. Right. Right. It's like you watch Kelly Slater surf and he could come out of a session and be like, oh, man, I that was a terrible session. But right. everyone else is
0: like, Kelly kills it, but, right? You
2: know what I mean? Yeah, because – Because your you, level, your standards.
0: You have to set the bar so high right. because those people don't even know what they missed because if they thought that was a good show, God damn, I didn't even get to take you where I wanted to take you because I didn't have a great performance for whatever reason. Yeah. And that's a super – that's just a bum deal. And luckily, you know, you have that next show the next night. Or whenever your next show is that's lucky thing you're a perfectionist when it when it comes to all this
2: that's amazing um you told me a story years ago when we were driving to go surf down a spot south um and you mentioned the word haters which made me think about it you you grew up in in philly and a lot of what you do especially at the early point was hip-hop and you told me a story about performing at a club. Can oh, yeah, you tell yeah. that story? Because okay. I, mean, I think that's such a great story for
0: character building and just, I mean, even, I mean, go ahead. Well, no, I had I had moved up to Boston and, um, you know, Boston was, um, I found it to be, and I, I lived there, I've lived there for 12 years now, but I had moved there from Philadelphia and this was 1992 and 19, yeah, 1992. And I found it to be extremely segregated which it's still, I still find it to be segregated. For a big East Coast city, it's rather segregated, right? Um, you know, it's not like New York, which is a complete melting pot of all walks of life on every block, and it's not Philadelphia is more so like New York than it is in Boston. At least there are ethnic neighborhoods, more so than new york but they're all right on top of each other whereas boston the ethnic neighborhoods are spread out like the latinos live way over there like way away from the white people and the blacks live next to them way away from the white people but philadelphia is like i would say about philadelphia if you're walking down the street don't walk too far in one direction because you might end up in a neighborhood where you're not supposed to be right you could get in trouble um. Anyhow, the reason I bring that up is that so I found Boston to be a racist place, and that works all that works every way, right? Segregation breeds racism, and that goes back and forth between everybody. So, anyways, um, and now in the early '90s, when hip hop was, you know, basically entering into its golden age, it was still like a very cultural like thing, like you know there were a handful of white rappers that had had success. Um, the beastie boys and like, um, you know, third base and, um, and like vanilla ice had had hits that was like more pop. And, and yeah, there was definitely, you know, white people that were in hip hop anyways. So, uh, a buddy of mine from Philly was this DJ named DJ Mighty My. And they actually like helped discover they were some of the people early on Eminem. And and he had a rapper who was also a kid from Philly named Eon. And so Mighty My and Eon threw this part, this hip hop party in in Boston at this place called the Barmuda Triangle. And basically, um, they're like the only two white dudes in the whole place. And it was like the hip hop night for, you know, MCs and DJs in Boston. And it wasn't like a kind of club you're going to go out to try and find a chicken because there was no chicks. It was like all dudes there to hip hop, right? There was a couple girls that would come for sure, but it was more like a, this is a musical thing that was like a cultural, it was hip hop, Right and because it was in boston you know people hated the black people didn't like white people white people didn't like black people and um but you know my homies were these two white jewish kids from philly and they were the dj and it was kind of their night so the other two white dudes that show up were me and my homie from philly jake um so we would show up and um And I was, had been a musician my whole life in the past and always had been into hip-hop and was a graffiti writer and skateboarder and everything. But I had been rapping now for just about a year and had started writing rap. Instead of writing songs, I was writing raps now that I were making into songs on guitar. And I had my style that was the G-Love style. And then so now i was going to the they would be playing all the hip-hop hits and then they would break it down into a cypher and and just have an instrumental going and then they start passing the mic around and it was like awesome rappers you know and it was a real scene and i was trying to break into it um and so um the first time i went I I kind of I kind of broke through and um, I got the mic and I guess my buddy Jake said he looked over at the one one kid and all these all these brothers were like looking at me like you know like making that smirk face and then, and then I started rapping and then the guys were like yeah that's dope and they gave props. Now the next week I, and I was like that made me feel high and like I. Because it took a lot of nuts and courage to like grab the mic being the only white kid, one out of four white kids there. And the only one that was going to rap with all these dudes from the hood that were rappers. And it took a lot of courage just to grab the mic and do it. So the next week I came back. Now... The cypher started happening again, so I'm standing on it. I'm standing, you know, trying to get into the circle so that the mic's going to get past to me. And now they pass it. It's, it's going to come to me next. And then the dude takes the mic and just passes it right around me to another dude, right? And then I was like, oh, man, I was like, fuck. Cause meanwhile, I'm, like, nervous as can be. And then the mic's going around again. And then all of a sudden, they pass me the mic, and then they all walk away. Oh, my and and i was just like and then i i just was so it was like i got hit it was like i got punched in the face you know emotionally and i was just i couldn't even i couldn't rap like i forgot anything that i was gonna i forgot my verse i i had a total meltdown and just was standing there like and everyone was just like you know everyone's just like you know you suck and that was it. And then I, that was the first night I, I remember ever feeling bad playing music. That's what I remember from from what we talked about last time. And I, I felt, I was crushed and I was so upset, man. But, you know, it was something that I, I'll never forget. And, um, what'd you learn from it? What I learned from I don't, I guess, um, to not forget your lyrics no matter what. <laughs> or you better come up with some damn good freestyle. Yeah, I guess just to come up with some you gotta come up with some good good ass freestyle if that happens because Yeah, um that was pretty bad. And and I like pride myself these days because over the years I've I've done a lot of shows with uh hip hop artists like the greats, like Ron DMC or Tribe Called Quest or guru or krs1 anybody everybody i played with all these guys and um cypress hill everybody and um like a lot of hip-hop shows you'll they'll have a breakdown where they're they're like yeah, it's a freestyle but really it's not a freestyle because i see like run dmc they're like yeah we're gonna freestyle and i did the show with them and i saw them do the same freestyle so obviously it was just a verse nobody knew over a beat that was just and I always thought that that was pretty whack. I always felt like a freestyle should really be a freestyle where you're gonna go off the um, you know off off the reservation and just make up words that's what a freestyle is if you ask me like you're gonna make up a rap on the spot about anything that you can think of or see within the vicinity and also talk about stuff that you can see or so people know that you're making it up right then right right and that's what a freestyle so that's something that you know uh i learned but just one other thing it also made me do was um it made me have a resentment that that night when they dissed me you know it made me have a resentment and um and honestly i i think and it it's not a good thing but it's a real thing you know and and i'll just be honest like to be a white... To to be, like, one of the first people that was coming out there and putting hip-hop into basically rock and roll, uh, which is what we did. Um, you know, there was a lot of people that would hate on it and judge it early on. And I don't know. I still, to this... honest. I'll just be honest. Like, I still, to this day, like, I have a, a chip on my shoulder about it because i always felt like you know i could tell people there were certain people would be out in the audience like you know judging me and being like you know he can't rap or like this ain't hip-hop or this or this or this or that
2: how did you so so with that resentment did you use that as motivation in some way or how did you use
0: that or was it just a feeling that you had like no for sure like you um I mean, I don't think great things come from it. I mean, sure, resentment can lead to a drive that makes you want to get better, to outdo your enemies. You know what I mean, or your competition or your rivals. Um, I don't feel like that's the greatest uh, source of inspiration. Um, it, it that that's basically anger. Right? It's a it's a lower form than what you were talking about earlier, right? Right. It's a lower form. It can be p- powerful and potent right. if you can channel um anger or frustration in or angst into a powerful musical force and a million people do it every day and it's a part of punk rock and hip-hop there's a lot of anger and a lot of music one of the things that i find
2: uh so inspirational about you about my buddy colin who's a pro surfer D- dave kalama pro surfers in their you know mid 40s Is this reinvention and this, um, I mean, you've been in the music game, uh, you know, since mid-90s and throughout that you've seen so many changes, but you've been able to adapt with it. Um, Can you talk to that process a little bit about continuing to stay relevant and what's got to be one of the most difficult professional fields that you can be in i don't know if there's anything more difficult maybe than music
0: yeah i mean i think that um you know i've always just considered it like my music is like a river and i'm kind of just being swept along with the current you know and i can manipulate it by swimming different parts of the river but i'm going with the flow you know and um and you know i guess i guess that served me well although (laughs) it hasn't it hasn't like maybe made for the most focused decisions so how do you stay relevant in the music business well you have to just be real and you have to be true to yourself i did i did kind of always figure like um i looked at people like john lee hooker and bob dylan and those are two people that i feel like never really made like a sellout record you know what i mean i felt like if you listen to a lot of the great rock and rollers from the 60s like the rolling stones or crosby seals and Nash, like they had all put out like some shit in the 80s that basically sucked you know and sounded like a sellout or like modern production that wasn't true and like john lee hooker and bob dylan like they always made these like you know they just made john lee hooker and bob dylan records and they made them the same way they they made their first records they're just true to themselves true to themselves and it wasn't like oh well yeah how many people want to tell me like five years ago yo gee edm's really like big right now why don't you try to like do what you do but like incorporate like some edm beats and i'm like, well. Because that would be, A, a sellout. Two, you're chasing something that someone else is doing. Three, it's not me. Four, what's the point? Because it's just timely, not timeless. not nothing against EDM. It's just that's not what I do. And there are times where I've tried to chase a trend like, you know, like, oh, the Strokes record came out. Man, I love that record. Man, this is such great rock and roll. I want to do right. And I maybe wrote some tunes that had... Some inspiration behind that type of thing, but I do feel like um, I've stuck close enough to my roots the whole time um, that my records, um, even if I did make some stylistic or production mistakes on them, um, that the fans were gracious and forgiving. That and I do also feel like most of the production on all, all of our records is never been like maybe one or two are a little poppy but not really like even when i try to be super poppy it still just comes off feeling pretty pretty raw so i think yeah just break it down for two words keep it raw you know keep it raw and keep it real and um yeah just keep it raw and keep it real and don't like Try and gloss it up. Don't try and be something that you're not, you know. And when all else fails, make great live shows because that's something that's immediate, that no one can take away from you, and that um, that's the real reason that we're still around. Yeah, and that's something that I mean
2: I've seen you play a number of times, all in the jungle though. <laughs> I got to get to in a show somewhere <laughs> else. But uh, the way you connect with an audience, like there's no one else that connects in that same way um you tell you spend a lot of you you put a lot into that and there's a lot of love that comes back from that in a connection
0: yeah i think like that's um that's like the main thing that you have to that you're trying to do when you do a show is like yeah you're trying to connect and and that's the whole point of it right it's not uh, actually it's not um actually it's not like how great you play the guitar or uh how funny a story you told well actually actually that can kind of help a lot <laughs> but um yeah it's it's just a general vibe it's like you know it it's hard to say i i always put it like this like when you're going on stage you know you have a room full of people or however many people show up and you have your guitar and you have a mic and if you if your band's with you you have a band with you and it's what what can you make with that ingredients right what can what kind of recipe can you whip up that's unique to that night that's going to be something so tasty that everyone's going to be loving it and talking about it and want to come back and get another taste of it next time and that's that's the most important thing is connection like it doesn't matter actually my drummer and i often i don't quite think he ever really understands that that that's what we're doing is It doesn't matter what songs you play, right? It doesn't matter what style of the music that you play. All it matters, it doesn't matter if the sound sucked. It doesn't matter if your girlfriend broke up with you or the stock market just crashed or anything. It just matters that you connected with the people and that they left having a feeling like they had a great time and felt inspired. Well, I think anyone
2: who listens to this is going to leave this chat inspired. Um, so thank you very much for being on the show and the first first guest on the Progression Project
0: podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And I
2: uh, cannot wait to watch the show tonight, man. Thank you.
0: Right on. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. All right, buddy.